Quigley in five, underwater in the yellow lane. Jess Carling of Great Britain. Quigley goes through, the silver to Jess Carling, wonderful silver medal for Great Britain. Welcome to the Honest Athletes podcast with Lauren Quigley and Jazz Carlin. Welcome back to the Honest Athletes podcast and we are back this week and we're actually talking about a very important subject and this is all the support that you can get um, as an athlete and this ranges I guess for everyone having that support from family from all the support team around you um, is so important and I think it's going to be great to delve into both of our experiences who made the biggest impact on our journeys and I guess some of those things that maybe we've learned along the way and that we've taken with us in our swimming career. Um, and I don't know about you, Lauren, but I've had a haircut and I'm feeling great. <laughs> You're looking good as well, Josh. You're looking great. Um, everybody knows that a haircut can just make all the difference. So there you go, sorted. You must feel lighter. It does. I feel so much better just after having a haircut. I think we've seen so many crazy lockdown cuts, buzz cuts, all kinds of things. So um, yeah, it felt great to be having my haircut. But how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I got to see some family over the last couple of days and it's just been just a nice, wholesome few days for me. So I'm I'm in a good place. I feel good. I'm ready to go for this topic because there was lots of people that affected my career in a massive, massively positive way. And so I'm looking forward to talking about those people because they should be getting a lot of credit. Yeah, it's definitely, again, from all the messages that we've had from our episodes have been amazing and the people that can relate to us and that can share and for sharing your own stories, we really appreciate that. So thanks for getting in touch. But I guess, Lauren, from your side of it, um, who do you think were the most important support system for you to either motivate you or getting you through your sporting journey the most, really? Okay, so I'm sure that people that have listened to this podcast or followed either of us, they know that first and foremost, we're both going to go family. That's always like been our best support. And, you know, I can see you smiling now because it's true. You know, we have, we're very lucky to have very supportive families and who, who obviously did everything they could to make sure we could be the best that we could, which is absolutely amazing. And, it's definitely not something that you should take for granted um, because there's a lot of people that don't have that support. And so, you know, first and foremost, family comes to mind straight away. But also um, we have our coaches and I had a very mixed bag, um, but today's going to be positive. So we're, I'm going to talk about the positive moments and real uh I don't know, not life-changing, but yeah, life-changing moments, even within training. And then support staff. So you've obviously got your psychologists, physios, uh, nutritionists, just all those people that were there along your journey to, to support you. I did actually see an interview. I think it was an interview or I know Sir Alex Ferguson's films coming out. Have you seen? I have seen. You have. I th I'm glad you have as a United fan. Um, but I saw part of his interview this morning, just a little snippet. And he was saying that he liked to make sure that every person on the team, no matter whether that was coach or support staff or going down to washing the kit, cleaning the changing rooms, whatever that was, he liked to make sure that everybody knew how much value they brought to the team. And he said he never liked to pat anyone to pass him in the corridor without him, you know, speaking to them, saying hi and all that sort of stuff. And I find that anyone that goes through sport, that should be the norm of like, everybody should know how much value they are to the team. And that's how you get the best out of people and the best out of the team. And so for me, I always tried to do that. And when I saw him say that this morning, it just made me smile because first of all, it's Sir Alex. So you can't do better than that. But I think, you know, I'm glad he's talking about that because it should be normal. But yeah, there's loads of people that, that affected my career. What about you, if, if I went to you first and foremost? Yeah, I guess, as we both said, family is a huge one. And from a young age, you know, mum and dad driving you all around the country. And we had our mums on one of our episodes in last season. And I guess the sacrifice that parents do take to be able to give you the best start in life and in sport and to take you all around early mornings and the commitment 
because it's not just you that goes up and down the pool. It's everyone that supports you and from the volunteers and even the coaches at a young age, just trying to help you, I guess, improve and be the best person and to help you improve your swimming. So yeah, coming from a very small swimming club, Tiger Sharks, it was actually, um, yeah, I was very lucky to be surrounded by some incredible coaches and very positive that made my swimming experience so happy, fun, memorable, and made me want to go back. You know, I think that's one thing that I really strive for is wanting kids to stay in sport, to stay active. And I think it's from those positive experiences that you get from those early days is being able to have such um, great and fond memories, positive experiences that make you want to go back and do it again. And so I remember from a young age at the Swindon Tiger Sharks having those coaches there that really just impacted me. And um, I actually joined um, the national squad, which was kind of the top squad when I was 11. And I had the most amazing coach, Phil Millard, and I've spoken about him on some of the other episodes and how inspiring he was to me. And not just he stopped coaching me when I was 14 because he retired, but even from then, I guess, as a bit of a mentor going forward and always supporting me and even knowing what to say to me before an Olympic final and on the phone to him when he's on a family holiday. There are just some people that just have such a huge and profound impact on you, which shapes you. And um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. And that's one thing I'm just so sad about that I don't get to share, I guess, my experiences now away from swimming and being able to help from the other side. But I guess that's where both myself and yours, Lauren, the passion being able to help people give back in sport and how much of an impact you can make to someone else's journey through sport and life. And that's why um, I guess even sharing the Honest Athletes podcast is for us to be able to give back. But coaches have been very lucky, um, even moving to Swansea at the age of 16, I guess, as we spoke about on the mums episode, I think, obviously our, their role changed from being parents that used to take me to train in competitions. I was then in charge of a lot of that myself. And um, I quickly realised that it wasn't just about turning up to swimming and trying really hard and then going home. I realized that there were so many other things that can go into helping you become the best athlete. And even the past year, we've seen swimmers that have come out so much stronger the other side. And I do think that, that, that it's down to, they've been able to work on some of those smaller areas that maybe they didn't give time to before. And I think in swimming, traditionally, we've always thrown ourselves up and down a pool and just hoping that we're going to improve. Whereas really... We don't need to throw ourselves through all that. We can actually work on some of those smaller areas, which can make a bigger difference. Um, but I think looking through, obviously, coaches, um, I was very lucky to have a coach called Bud McAllister, who coached me through a lot of my years of swimming. But then through Rio, I had my coach, David McNulty. And don't get me wrong, I think that relationship between a coach and an athlete can be a very vulnerable and unstable one at times um we had our fair share of arguments and I don't like to think I'm very confrontational I hate confrontation but we had our few I guess obstacles when we first started working together and um I guess getting to know how each other works what makes each other tick how do we get on the best to get the most out best out of each other and I think um it's actually so funny because we had I moved to Bath um, and we went on training camp and um, I remember me and Dave had this big argument on like one of the first few days and um, I, th I don't know I think it was probably a mixed bag I think it was down to communication we hadn't really communicated that well and I stormed off one way he stormed off the other and we actually didn't talk for a few days <laughs> And apparently he even says to me um, now, he said he found a spider in his room later that day. And he said, God, because we had an argument, you hid a spider in my room. <laughs> so um, I think, I guess, getting used to that relationship um, and it was it ended up being the best relationship that I'd had and one of the most critical and important relationships. But we had to find that ground of each other and not every swimmer is the same. You can't coach every swimmer exactly the same. You need to be able to figure out. And even now I'm learning that, I guess, as being an online coach, doing mentoring, 
that you can't stick to this. The same key doesn't work for every single lock. You've got to be able to get a different key for every single person and be able to unlock their full potential. And that's something that I truly believe in. And I think at times you will both, I guess, try and figure out how to get the most out of each other, how to get the best out of each other. And um, I think that relationship is so important, but it also can be so key. And so that relationship, and I remember walking down the call room, going to the call room in Rio and Dave, like, I guess was giving me a talk. And that's one of his strengths was the motivational talk before my race. And I just remember, I think I had goosebumps. I was so excited and he gave me this big hug, and I just wanted to do it for him. I wanted to do it for everyone that supported me, for all the support team, the physios, the nutritionists, the psychologists, everyone that had supported me and helped me. It felt like it was for everyone. Um, but Dave was the king at giving the pre-race talk and getting me really ready to race. And I think that can be a very important time. You know, I was so nervous before I race. And um, yes. I guess- Do you remember what Dave said? I actually don't remember it as much. Um, but you know, he used to always have the power to fill you with so much confidence and that you were just ready to take on the best in the world. And I can't remember his exact words. You know, times like this, I wish I'd like voice recorded or like could go back to some of those moments. Cause at times when I look back to some of them, they're actually quite fuzzy, the memories. Um, I guess a lot of adrenaline and um, it was quite a long time ago now, but um, that pre-race was, I guess, full of excitement, but also that relationship. And I had the utmost respect and um, believe that we were both on that journey together. But obviously it didn't, it didn't start like that. We had quite a, fair, a few fair share of arguments to start with, but I think that was just, I guess, getting used to each other, how each other works, how to get the, the most out of both of us and understanding one another. Um, but it's funny because obviously I could have easily gone, no, I worked with someone else or whatever. And I think that relationship is so important. What are your experiences with that, Quigley? Yeah, you've, I mean, you just summed up coaches and and relationships with coaches so so well what's the role of a coach really it's to, it's to try and get the best out of their each and every athlete and coaching is a, is a really difficult job I mean I've not been a coach I've you know I've coached but I've not been a professional coach should we say but just thinking about how to do their role in the best way possible. It's really difficult. And in swimming, obviously you have normally have a group of a few athletes and to get to know each and every individual athlete takes a lot of time, effort and of understanding really to have that empathy, but also to be able to step outside of that and be that, you know, harsh, I need to get the best out of these guys. I can't just be their mate. And so navigating a coach-athlete relationship is never an easy one. And it's really complex, but also can be one of the best things that someone can experience. And again, one of the reasons why sport is so amazing is the relationships out of it. So for me to start off, I started off a small club called Saracens in Hazel Grove, somewhere my mum had swam for many years. And the coach there, my coach there was called Kevin Nuttall. And he throughout, very similar to you throughout my career, was always there um, whenever I needed him, you know, happy for me in every single way and just wanted to support me. And so I was really lucky with the start of, again, my career. And he was someone who was pivotal all the way through my swimming. And so, yeah, I was lucky, but again, I then had a few different coaches at Manchester, Stockport, Liverpool and Lanzarote and a whole, I feel like a whole spectrum of coaches and great times with all of them, but also really bad times with some of them too. And so it is about navigating and trying to figure it out. And, and like I say, there's a lot of trainers in the world, lots of trainers, very few good coaches. And then there is very few, very good coaches. And so if you manage to have one of those very good coaches, it's, you're really lucky and definitely make anyone listening who has one of those really, you know, quality coaches, make the most of it. Cause it's an absolutely amazing thing to go through. 
like I say, lots of great memories. And again, I think the teammates have a role in that as well and how the how everyone communicates around the whole team. But it's it's the best coaches are the ones that take the time to get to know each athlete because yeah, it is difficult. But like you've said, not every single key fits every single keyhole. And so for 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 example, I don't know what you were like in training jazz, but if one coach said to you, Jazz, that was absolutely rubbish. I don't think you can do this time on these reps. There's just no way. Would you respond better to that or would you respond better to Jazz? That stroke rate was absolutely amazing, but I think you can do better here and I know you can get that time. So keep doing that amazingly well. Just tweak that and you can do it. I believe in you. Some people respond to the first coach's words a lot better than the second one or vice versa. And so for me, it was if a coach said that was rubbish, I don't think you can do it. There's no way. I I wouldn't respond well to that. I'd be like, maybe they're right. You know, I'm useless. But if someone said, you're doing great, but you know, just change this and do that. We'll get there. I'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe we can do it. How did you respond to to coaches? Yeah, it's um, a funny one because I think with my coach Bud, who I was with for seven and a half years from when I moved away from home at 16, he had a very relaxed coaching style. And it was like, if the swimmers don't want to work hard, like I don't need to, like I write the sessions, I plan everything ahead. But if they don't want to commit to it, I'm not going to force them to do it. And so I guess it made me have the ownership that I need to work hard on my own, but it also made me quite independent where I could just get on with it. And I remember Bud left um, six months before the Commonwealth Games in 2014. And I went over to Australia for six weeks and then I came back and then I pretty much wrote my training plan um, heading into Commonwealth Games. And I think I kind of knew that because I'd worked with Bud so long. I'd had that independency where... I knew what worked for me and I could go to Bud and I could say, I love this set. Can I do this session? I love um, doing pace fifties, this eight fifties on 40 pace. So I think the more you get to know yourself, the better, the more, well, the more it's going to work for you. And I feel like the better the performance is. in terms of being spoken to. I think um, at times I did need a bit of pushing, but, in all honesty, I felt like I was always given my absolute best. And um, it was quite hard if someone ever questioned how much effort I was actually putting in. And like some days I just can't move. Some days I can't swim very fast. And I think that's one thing we always expect that we can swim well all the time. But in training, some days it just doesn't go the way you'd hoped it for. I remember like some sessions that I'd had, it was pretty much like I was swimming backwards and it doesn't make sense because your heart rates, your heart rates off, your pace is off, everything. And you're like, what is going on? But you just don't feel right. And I think that's where the communication is important and being able to know. But then I do know there's been times, um, I actually remember we did a set of 3100s um, best average with in Bath with coach Graham and Twistle. And it was actually really funny because I used to hate 3100s. It was like my kind of session where I just, um, it always got in my head because obviously 3100s best effort. I don't know why mentally always really challenged me. And I remember we got to the last one and I said, Graham, I said, can I get an extra 30 rest? Cause I wanted to go really fast on the last one. Um, and he said, no, you go, you'll go faster on the same rest. And I was like, ah. but it turns out I actually did go faster at the end on that last rep and I didn't have any extra rest. So I guess there is those times where you do want a bit or your brain is saying, oh, I want a bit extra or I want this. Um, but to have Graham say, no, we're going faster. And he really pushed me and drove me on in that session. And I really appreciated it. But I guess I did want a bit of extra rest. I wanted it to be a bit more comfortable. And I guess coaches are designed to make you feel a bit more uncomfortable. So you're ready for those, I guess, arena experiences and in competitions, you won't always feel quite comfortable. Um, so it is like, again, as you said, it's a very precious um, relationship and sometimes it's quite hard, hard to get right. How did you find training camps? Because I think going away on training camps, you would have a different coach, a different coaching style. You, I remember 
at the World Championships, you were with Joel, I believe. Um, how do you find it, I guess, working with different coaches? Because a, a lot of the international competitions, you don't have your own coach, you don't have your home coach. You have to work with your kind of group coach, um, the ones that have been assigned to go to the international. How do you used to find that? Yeah, I didn't have my home coach, I don't think, on any of my teams whatsoever. So it sort of became something that I was used to in the end. I just sort of would just accept that, that, okay, I'm not going to have my home coach, so I need to learn. Again, like you said, you had Bud to sort of make you accountable for your own training, your own decisions and all that sort of stuff. And it goes back to that communication between coaches. That's something that is a massive breakdown within coaches and athletes. It's the communication. Things get miscommunicated or athletes expect coaches to mind read. We're all guilty of it. Whereas actually they're not mind readers and they need you to communicate and communicate honestly. You know, if you're not feeling it or you're just not feeling it, well, it's best to tell them and be honest rather than to make something up or anything like that. But so it's always the communicate. It was always a communication for me. So for me, it was communication between my home coach, myself and the coach I was going to work with. I had James Gibson at the Commonwealth Games. Absolutely loved it. Joel at the Kazan World Championships. Loved it. And I had Bud, Bud McAster in Barcelona at the World Championships as well. So I had a, a whole range of different coaches as well, which I actually found myself quite lucky to have because you're forced again to be uncomfortable and to manage that. Okay, you don't know me from Adam. So this we've got to communicate, learn to communicate quickly and be able to get the results that you know we hope to get, do the best that I absolutely can. So that was okay for me. But just going through each different coach you have, it's that ever-evolving thing. And just like any relationship, you can grow apart or you you at 14 might not still be a good relationship with that coach when you're 17. And so that's where people move on. And again, speaking from the coach's side, they might have an athlete that they just think, we don't work well together. And that's just, you know, life. You don't get on with everyone. And that's just how it is. Coaches also, I must say, coaches have that pressure of getting that success. You know, a lot of coaches' jobs obviously are based on this, what's on paper, the success of your athletes, not how good is your relationship with your athlete. So that's where things can also become a bit more negative as well. It's like they do have that pressure to get the results. And sometimes coaches then forget that that's an actual person. And they're just more on how can I get this person to do this race the fastest that they possibly can. Whereas, so when I went away on a team and was with a different coach, I think it actually sort of helped a bit because the coach I wasn't their home swimmer, so they were just sort of maybe a bit less pressure because they were like, it's not my swimmer. So if we just have fun and, you know, I just help them however I can, it was so, it was in a good or bad way. It was sort of like, not that I don't care about them as much, but more, it doesn't really matter what happens because they're not my swimmer in a way. And so I think that helps because then it's just a bit more of a relaxed relationship and a quick one that has to merge quite well. Did you have your home coach on every team or were you mixed? Yeah, I it was a bit of a mix really. Um, Bud came on the odd team and then Dave is one of the kind of firm coaches for GB. Um, well, he's one of GB's most successful coaches. So when I joined Dave at Bath, he was often on the teams um but we actually had dave um mcnulty and graham Antwistle. so it was just dave that used to go away on those international ones um but yeah i think um it's a mix really and i think bud did teach me a lot about um being able to be independent and that you've got to be adaptable i guess being able to work with different coaches and i would i guess given advice i would always say never be afraid to ask what you need and put yourself in the middle of a bit of paper and say all the things that work the best for you. And I said it in one of the episodes before about driving your own car. You get to work out what works best for you and don't be afraid to, to say to a coach, say to the people around you, 
what works best for you. And I think at times we feel like we don't want to ask for help. Whereas really, the more people we talk to, the more we ask for help. And the more we say, oh, this works well for me. I don't feel like this is the best for me. Having that open and honest communication is key. And I think um, the more we see that from coaches, I think the results seem to come so much better. And even seeing David Hemmings, I don't know whether you follow him on Twitter, Lauren. I do, I do, I do. And some of the incredible things that he puts on Twitter, he's great at sharing his knowledge, how he works. And he shares some of his sheets and they're full of colours, they're full of information and how he obviously processes um, coaching various different athletes. Probably one of the best group of athletes in the UK at the minute in all different events. And he clearly knows how to get them all doing different things to try and achieve that same goal. And I think that's what great and how coaching is evolving that I guess maybe even when we spoke to Gaynor about how she used to do a lot of the same kind of stuff, the group would do the same kind of things. Whereas now the individuality is so important and, and also being able to get to know yourself and be able to say to your coach, oh, I really like doing more gym or this or that. Um, seems to really work for the athlete and not being not being afraid to try something new. I think that's one of the key things. And I think I did speak about it on one of the podcasts, but um, I sat down with Dave McNulty, my coach in the year before the Rio Olympics. And um, he said, oh, so we normally talk about the goals for the year. And I said, Dave, I want to go and win two medals. And he shook my hand. He said, let's, let's do it. Let's go for it. Um, and he said, but you're not going to get the same results by swimming exactly the same way, by racing and used to come from behind trying to catch everyone up. And he said, you're going to have to go out harder. You have to be with a pack from the start. Obviously, Katie Ledecky was in front, um, didn't have her too much in the sights. But he said, we need to be in the race from the start. Whereas I've been used to coming from behind and catching up, finishing some races. And everyone would be like, if it was 50 metres longer, you would have got a medal or whatever. I'd be those kind of close misses. Um, and so I had to commit to a new race plan, going out the quickest I've ever done. But I guess that's what you do. And that's sometimes you've got to make yourself feel uncomfortable trying out new things and being able to... Uh, to adapt and um, you never know. Some things might be a risk, but they could be even bigger rewards in the pacing and um, the tactics and trying out a bit more gym, all, the, all those kind of different bits. But don't feel, feel afraid, again, as we said, to fit to that certain box that you've got to be, again, as we talk about it, be a certain height or um, be able to do certain things in training. Don't feel like you have to fit into a certain box. Don't be afraid to try something new and, um, I think that's where the best results come. But obviously, even in the lead up to Rio, obviously I'd committed to this new race plan to go out harder. And um, I had to work a lot with the sports psychologist then to be able to actually get my head around swimming a completely new way when for however many years, years and years of racing, I'd been used to coming from behind and finishing really strong. Whereas in Rio, they wanted me to go out from the start. So I guess being able to get my head around that and I think that sports psychology, well, it paid a huge role for me, um, being able to get the best out of my performances. Did you deal much with sports psychologists throughout your swimming career? Yeah, I did. I saw a couple, actually. Um, once after my uncle passed away, that was a massive time where I definitely needed help. And so I spoke to him. But then I also spoke to one post-Olympic trials 2016 where things weren't abs weren't amazing at all. I was in a very bad place. And, yeah, he was he was amazing. Not just psychologists. I, I used to go into EIS at Manchester, and it used to be at Sports City, unfortunately, right next to Manchester City's ground, which I hated going to every week. But there you go. But, yeah, I'd go in to see the EIS team, and I'd go and see Catherine or Lee, Lee Harrington, and I'd see him at once a week. He was my physio because I had really bad shoulders through my most of my career. And Lee was like a psychologist. He wasn't one, but I would just go in... And I'd be on the physio bed and he'd be sorting my shoulder out and we'd just talk about everything and I would offload on him and we would have a laugh. I'd, I'd sometimes be in tears, but I would leave every time feeling so much better. And yeah. so although, yes, everybody has a role and a title within your journey, actually a lot of the support staff and the people around will cross over and they'll help you in areas that you won't even expect. 
And so I was really lucky in, in terms of that. And I came across some amazing physios. I mean, the physios on the British swimming team absolutely loved those guys. I had lots of funny times with them and everything. And I always found that they worked really hard because they would have to be first at the pool and last. So they'd have to be there for every single swimmer. Just having an amazing support team like that, I think makes such a huge difference. But one of my psychologists, one of the best things my psychologist ever said to me, I was getting all worked up about what everyone thought and all that sort of stuff. And he just went, Lauren, no one gives a and I And I was like, what? And I was a bit offended at first. I was like, what do you mean no one? I'll do the PG version. What do you mean no one cares? And he was like, no one, honestly, no one cares. Like, you'll do your race. Yeah, people might talk about you for two minutes, but then they'll be back onto themselves. They'll be back onto what am I doing or what's the next person doing? He was like, those that obviously are in your tight circle, they care, obviously. I'm not saying they don't, but nobody else cares, honestly. You, you, no, one, no one will be talking about you, nothing. And so at first I was like, oh, well, that's a bit harsh, but then it actually is true and it's it sort of helps you sometimes when you get a bit overwhelmed with things. It's like, well, actually, yeah, no one really does care. Like they might talk about you for a minute, two minutes, but then they're back onto what they're doing and everyone's, you know, they're the main character in their own lives. What I'm, you know, what's all about me really, not in a bad way. It's just how we are. Was there anything that you remember from your psychology sessions that you're like, you got told? I do want to go into that, but one question for you, you obviously said you spoke to psychologists after, I guess, 2016. How would you, do you reckon it would have played, I guess, because you talk about your experiences at the 2016 trials um, and feeling quite numb, like you weren't there, um, you didn't want to be there. Do you think having that support heading into the six months, year before, would have made a bit more of a difference or was it just something you hadn't really thought about? Potentially. Like I said, I said it on one of the, episodes earlier it was like I had psychologists at when it was either too late or just not at the right time and I probably needed one through that year but again from being silent and wanting to keep it in I didn't go down that route and yeah it probably would have helped but I also don't know if there was too much damage done like I was in too deep and not a lot of people oh pardon the pun um not a lot of people even know half half of some of the things that happened in 2016 and I'm sure one day I will open up about them but yeah it wasn't it wasn't great and maybe yeah of course you look back in hindsight and you think maybe I should have had that yeah it would have probably helped but you'll never know I don't know potentially and I would definitely advise if anyone's going through difficult times within sport it's definitely worth looking into and getting that extra support because I don't know if I remember I told someone once, yeah, I, yeah, I had a psychologist. Have you ever thought about it? And they were like, oh, like, do you really want to be telling people that you've got a psychologist? And I was like, oh, I didn't know it was like a, not a good thing to have, you know. And so if anyone's listening and feels that way, it's absolutely a great thing to have. And most people could do with it and need it and it helps them massively. So, yeah, it probably would have would have helped um but who knows who actually knows it's just when I look back I guess to times in my sporting journey and things and I guess having that psychological support um I remember from a young age Swim Wales offering me sports psychologist um because my dad obviously gone through um my dad being in hospital and a lot of changes going on there with our family and I guess adapting our, our lives and stuff to everything with my dad. So I was offered that support, which was actually very kind of some Wales to be able to give me that support at a young age and knowing that I was going through a lot. And then I guess probably even from a young age, it wasn't really spoken about, Oh, you're talking to the sports psychologist or, you know, as you've said, it's sometimes a subject of people are like, Oh, why do you need to speak to someone? But when I look back at, I guess some of the high moments in and some of the best moments in my sport, I do think sports psychology played a huge part in a lot of my successes in sport. And for me, one of the biggest things I struggled with was confidence, belief in myself. Um, 
for some reason, every time I'd have a great block of training, I'd get to a competition and I'd be questioning myself, have I done enough? Have I done enough training? Am I ready? What if it goes bad? What if it goes wrong? What if I don't swim well? And it was kind of like I was um, flooded with all these thoughts that were kind of having quite a negative impact on me. Um, and so when I moved to Bath, I started working with a psychologist um, in, well, at Bath. And I think the first thing that kind of came out when we first started speaking was like, I started crying and I was talking about my experiences from the 2012, missing out on the 2012 Olympics. And I was still so emotional about talking about it, even two years after it. And still, whereas for me now, I'm, I wouldn't class myself as quite an emotional person. Um, but back then it was like, even just talking to someone very new and you're actually amazed sometimes how much you can open up to someone you've just met or, that's quite new into your life and how much you can actually open up. So um, I still had a lot of raw emotion from missing out on the 2012 Olympics. Um, but I do think that relationship was key and moving forward, I guess it was being able to um, overcome my past of missing out. And that, I guess, again, doesn't define you as an athlete or a person missing out on what was the home Olympics. Um, but then heading into Rio, as I said, it was about a lot of the sports psychology side of it. How are we going to, commit to this race plan how are we going to get to um get to a competition stand feel confident on the blocks commit to my race um and all that kind of stuff and accepting that you will get some negative thoughts on race day but that's not going to impact your performance and um mom i do talk about it a lot when um I talk to schools, swimming clubs and things. And one of the things I used to find really useful was um, I used to make notes in training when things had gone well in the lead up to the Olympics, like a year or six months before sessions that had gone well. I used to make a note of them um, in a little book. And I guess because often we get to competitions and it's like we get flooded with all these thoughts and forget all the good things we've done so by making notes and um I actually had a little book booklet that I took to to Rio that I actually read before every single race and it had all the things that I'd done really well it had um which my sports psychologist had done it had kind of messages from my mum and dad my old swimming coach Phil who I spoke about um that coached me at Tiger Sharks and um yeah just a few messages and I guess reminding myself of all the things that I have done well how much I've committed and I was just going there to do my best and even having messages I guess from mum and dad that they're proud of me and just just for being there and just for doing all the things that I've been able to do um they're so proud and it doesn't define you as a person so I guess having those experiences and things um in place so even when you do get a competition and you are a bit overwhelmed nervous and anxious that you do have notes and you can fall back on all the things that you've done well whether that was getting good sleep drinking a lot of water whether it was doing good pace in training make a note of all those things that you've done really well and then when you get to a competition remind yourself and look at all the notes of the things you've done really well and I think that made such a big difference um Definitely. another yeah Another story, actually, a funny one um, from the sports psychologist was about um, a month before the Olympics. And we were, I turned up to my meeting with the sports psychologist at Bath University Sports Cafe. And um, it's always thriving with people. It's so busy. It's full of coaches, athletes, family, parents, you know, all it's with everything. Physios is surrounded with, um, with people. And I turned up to my meeting and um, said, got well, drinks in or whatever. And we sat at the table and he said, so in this meeting today, Jazz, we are going to, um, I want you to stand up and I want you to tell everyone, introduce yourself, tell them who you are and tell, let them know that you're going to Rio to try and win two, two medals. And I was like, well, there's, there's no chance. I'm, there's absolutely no way I'm standing up and telling everyone here that I'm going to Rio and I'm trying to win two medals. I didn't want to admit my goals to everyone. I didn't want to stand up in front of people, have people looking at me and like, who's she? What is she talking about? Why is she telling us this? Um, 
and so it took like 10, 15 minutes and he's trying to persuade me, what's, what's you just have to stand up and tell everyone. Um, so as the time obviously is going by, um, I'm starting to get my hat. I've stood up a few times and then sat straight back down. I just couldn't do it. Um, and then on the <laughs> I'd final- love to have seen this. <laughs> oh God, I'm so glad there's not video footage. <laughs> and after about 20 minutes, I stood up and I said, hi everyone, my name's Jazz Carlin and I'm going to the Rio Olympics, try and win two silver medals, two medals, sorry, sat straight back down. Oh God! Oh, and was, it, was everyone so? Had he planted everyone in there, or was it no. like everyone was just there, minding their own business? I was thinking, wishing the world would like sink me up, you know, just thinking, get me out of this place. But then someone started clapping. Someone came over and shook my hand, and um, like he, he was basically trying to show me that you will be uncomfortable in situations, but you can do it. And even though your brain will be saying, no, I can't do this. You actually can. And you can um, go on to do things that even though your brain tells you, you can't, you actually can. And, um, and I actually learned a lot from that. And even now in experiences where I do feel uncomfortable, it's being able to accept that feeling and knowing that you can still do it anyway. Um, So I think that was something I really learned from. And I do feel that it's very key in in life and in sport to be able to have that support and not be afraid to ask for it um and at times it's I guess you speak to family friends and you can speak to them about it I didn't always feel comfortable but um having I guess a professional that knows that knows what to do they've seen I guess gone through so many different experiences with different people and being able to share that so um I did find that really useful um and I do often talk about it when I chat to clubs and to schools because it is such a funny experience, but it definitely taught me a lot. Um, I guess from you the... Learn, you learn so much though, Jazz, from so many different people. Like you'll you'll have psychology bits from your gym coach that you'll be like, what? You know, every single one of my coaches, Kevin Nuttall, Mark Lappin, Mark Rose, Sean Kelly, Mike Roberts and Robin yeah. Brew. Every single one of those coaches taught me something massive within life, within sport, all different lessons, but they all taught me something. And not only that, but like I said before, Lee, my physio, I'm going to get my shoulder sorted, but I'd, you know, I'd either be in tears laughing, leaving like I'd been in a psychology session. And so there's always crossovers in sport. Not only that, but teammates, you know, your teammates, you you don't realise how much you rely on them or they rely on you day to day. You get to know people's different body language, stuff like that. So I roomed with Amy Wilmot through most of my time racing for GB and we got to know each other so well that if she came in, if maybe she had a session and I hadn't that morning on a holding camp or whatever, when she came in, her eyes would be so closed that I would go, she didn't sleep well last night or something's not gone well. And I'd know, I just could tell by her body language, her face, just leave her. And she would know the same for me. And, you know, you just, you get to know each other. You learn about each other. You learn to deal with different people, how to respond in different ways. And you're just always learning as an athlete. And I think that's so so special because like I've said before, you see each other, literally at your worst at 4am in the morning when you don't want to get in a cold pool to at their best when they've they've achieved like a goal a massive goal that they wanted to and everything in between and there's just so many lessons within sport that they're just like gold dust you can't you can't beat them really so it's it, it's amazing that story though about standing up and saying that I'd not I'm trying I was thinking as you're saying it could I do that I don't know if I could have done that it's funny and I do even you saying about like the SNC coach and um or the sports massage or whatever the people that have actually like I feel like the strength and conditioning coach John Watson he was a great great coach and a great person and um yeah John Watson was amazing I only got to work with him now and again on different teams but he was amazing And again, he was kind of like that psychologist and like support and cried tears to him. I've moaned to him and he's probably seen me at 
my very worst, you know? And one thing when I look back and I actually wish that I'd bought into gym, like the strength and conditioning side of it a bit more, because now I absolutely love it. Whereas um, when I was swimming, it was like, gym makes me sore. It makes me feel a bit rubbish in the water. And obviously doing a distance event, I didn't see it as an importance. Whereas I do wish that I'd given it a bit more um, of a priority and I guess turning up and doing 75 kilometers a week and trying to turn up to gym and feel full of energy after you've just done a two and a half hour session. And he's probably seen me and thought, oh God, like, and you have to bring so much energy and lift, lift people up when you know they're tired. A lot of the time as an athlete, you spend absolutely shattered, you know, waking up, feeling tired during the day, needing a nap, like often very tired, wiped out. And so um, I do hold my hands up and I probably should have, I guess, at times maybe brought a bit more energy after swim into the gym session and committed to a few different things. But even from the physio side, I remember when I moved to Swansea and I saw the physio, Reece Shawnee, who I actually do a lot of work with, with now. And I saw him and he measured me and did all these measurements. Um, and I could barely move the next day because I was so sore um, from like, I guess I'd never done it before. I didn't realize that this was such a big thing in sport. And I think he must have looked at me and thought, how on earth is she a swimmer? <laughs> um, because I just wasn't naturally built like that way. And um, I think it, we are very lucky at the elite level um, to get access to all the different support, support stuff. But I know a lot of swimmers that go through it and athletes um, that don't necessarily have all the support. But I think, I guess it's prioritizing what's important to you and um, even doing the, the basic things and the small things, right? Like your sleep, your hydration, getting enough food and fuel and recovering. Um, all those things actually can play such a big part. And I guess the other bits are a bonus and things that you can work on. Um, but all those bits, I guess, is making that big puzzle, make it look um, a bit better and a bit brighter. And like you say, you know, with every relationship, there's ups and there's downs and the ups aren't as good ups without the downs. So you've got to have the whole mixture and there'll be conflict. Everybody, everybody's there to do one job. And so everybody does their absolute best to do that job correctly and in the right way. And of course you're going to have conflicts, but it's just it's it's amazing it's an amazing journey to be on with so many different people and for them to all focus on you is like you say at the the top level that is their job to to focus on you and it's quite it's such a privilege to have and with these roles within sport you know a lot of coaching and a lot of um snc and physios and everything you said something along the lines of you've got to turn up and be so enthusiastic and and sometimes in life you're just not but some of the best coaches in the world and and the top people in the sports sciences and everything you've got to be really good at acting to be fair because if you're not feeling it you've got to go into this role of I've got to be enthusiastic though and and be on poolside so there was a coach at Loughborough I'm sure you experienced him as well I think it was Ian Armiger who would come onto poolside every morning and be like shouting across the poolside, morning, everyone, you know, and I'm sure a lot of the swimmers at the time were like, oh no, just be quiet. But it's it's having that role and being able to do that day in, day out of knowing your athletes, being enthusiastic, encouraging everyone all the time. I bet they go to bed at night, coaches normally, and they're just exhausted from this role. I think it's like bringing the energy. And as you said, sometimes it's like playing poker. It's putting on your poker face. Like even my old coach, Dave, and he talks about it from um, when he coached me and at the Olympic trials in 2016, I wasn't having the best competition. And he said, all the coaches were looking at him to see his reaction. And he has to put on like, it's fine. Like whatever, like, you know, I've got loads of other swimmers and you have to be able to put on a poker face. And even to your athletes, sometimes, I remember I got a bit of a, a telling to when I came back and I was upset after a couple of swims and he said, no, like we're not getting upset. Like, and the thing is, it's true. And when I look back, 
And as you've said, Lauren, you take bits from different experiences and try and use everything as a learning experience because you will take something away. And even those horrible swims where you're so upset, give yourself some time, but also try and learn from every single experience and see what you could take away from it. And I always found making notes so I could actually remember it um, and remember what things I did well, what I could have worked on. Um, because sometimes you can then forget Whereas at least if you make a note of it, you know the things that you've done well, but it is a tough one. And I think even coming back, and I used to see some like swimmers come back and they've had the worst swim, but they're still smiling. They're still happy to be there. Still like, yeah, that's just what I got today. And I wish I could have been more like that because at times like I was so hard on myself and I wish I could just have like been like shaking it off and been like, that's what I got today. Me and you both, sister. Me and you both. But going back to the poker face thing, did you ever do a race and try and... No, I'm fine. I'm not out of breath. I remember 200 backstroke heats. My coaches were be like, right, just try and like, just stay calm. Like, you know, touch the wall. Yeah, there's a breeze. I swear, I'd be like <gasps> inside, like trying to trying to make it look like I was dead relaxed, but I was actually like inside. How am I going to go quicker tonight? You know, that sort of thing. Did yeah. you ever do that or not? Yeah, it's definitely what we do in swimming. It's so when so I- hard. Finish the heats, um, and you try and make it look like God. That was the easiest swim I've ever done. You know, barely breathing. You know, um, and I remember actually at the Olympics I won my heat, and it was the same because obviously the TV comes zooming in, the cameras come zooming in on you. You've got your face plastered all over all the screens inside the arena and on TV at home, and like you're trying to pretend like that didn't hurt me, <laughs> but actually I. Did- did feel all right but obviously i'm gonna be out of breath i've just done a 400 and I did the second best time but you've got to pretend to everyone that it was the easiest swim you've ever done you've got plenty in the tank for the finals um but it is a funny even watching been watching obviously the europeans that have been on um and even seeing that you do notice that swimmers that are like oh yeah that was cool that was absolutely fine in the semis making sure for the final it is a funny one um you hear the commentator say it as well like oh they look like you know it was a breeze that i'm sure they'll have loads more tonight and it's like you also know from coming from being the athlete that they're talking about that actually that they probably gave it quite a lot of beans and they're probably thinking okay i'm gonna go quicker tonight that's gonna be interesting even even like a funny story i remember like some sessions with um at bath uni and i don't think i've ever told dave or graham this but we used to have to check our heart rates and call out our heart rates he'd say what's your heart rate what's your heart rate we have to try and get it in certain zones and i do remember like at times like i I've been trying my absolute best, giving 100% and my heart rate's not there. So I would say my heart rate... Yeah. (laughs) I would say my heart rate was definitely in that area, even though it was miles off. I couldn't get my heart rate up. And so I would say, because I had to put on like a poker face, but like I was trying and sometimes my heart rate just couldn't get there. But I I didn't want to tell him that my heart rate wasn't there. But then towards the end of my career, they started coming up with... um, this t they had a tv and they'd put everyone's heart rate on the board so oh, it was no. like everyone was so embarrassed like you're either if it's too high or if it's too low and then everyone can see and everyone's like oh like if a heart rate's like super high and you're just like oh so i'm glad that kind of only came in towards the end of my career really <laughs> Yeah, there's far too much science involved now that you can't you can't get away with anything, can you? There's nothing you can hide from lactates, heart rays, there's camera systems, camera systems, camera watching systems underwater. I know, I know. It's just, I, yeah, we're out of it now, Jazz. We can watch, we can watch everyone go through that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been nice to talk about coaches in a way of positive and how those relationships work we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode episode seven now of season two already it's gone pretty fast but we've got three three more episodes of season two left three great episodes coming up as well so keep listening out for those keep looking out for those you can obviously listen on spotify youtube or apple so oh and amazon music so do definitely check those out Share the podcast, like it, comment on it if there's anything you can relate to or you enjoy it. It'd be lovely to hear from you. And we will see you next week for episode eight. Bye.